metal band out of Denton were a couple of guys who had been friends since grade school. One was named Cyrus, and the other was Jeff. Taunt all a day in Jeff's bedroom. Best ever death metal band out of Denton. Never settled on a name. But the top three contenders, after weeks of debate, were Satan Fingers and the Killers and the Hospital Bombers. Best ever death metal band out of Denton. Jeff and Cyrus believed in their hearts. They were headed for stage lights and Learjets and fortune and fame. So in script that made prominent use of a pentagram, they stenciled their drum heads and their guitars with their names. And that was how Cyrus got sent to the school where they told him he'd never be famous. And that's how he, way Jeff and the letters he'd write to his friend helped develop a plan to get even. When you punish a person, for dreaming his dream, don't expect him to thank or forgive you. Best ever death metal band out of Denton will in time both outpace and outlive you. Hail Satan. Hail, hail. Tonight, hail Satan. Hail, hail. Hey folks, this is going to be a short one. I don't have a lot of time. Got to record some stuff later. Squeezing it in because I want to get something in this week. Try to keep up a pace once a week because I want to do another book, as I said, that I have not yet decided on. But when I get back from Florida, Florida, next week, I will pick one and we'll say what it is. Florida. First time in the tip. Never been to the tip. Never been to the sensitive glands of Florida before. Only the shaft. I've been all the way in the middle of the shaft and up into the, uh, the, hmm, is the panhandle, panhandle is not the scrotum, right? But it's not the taint either. There's no scrotum is the problem. What's the panhandle? See, if it's the taint, where's the balls? This is the problem. I guess the root. All right, people are keep insisting it's the taint, even though there's no balls between it and the rest. It goes shaft. It goes straight to shaft. Florida is absolutely circumcised. I mean, I think that goes without saying. If you know what I mean. All right, fine. It's the taint. Well, I've been to the taint, and I've been to the bottom, uh, the, the, the middle of the shaft, uh, the uh, Tampa area, and I've been, of course. Of course, as an American, middle American, I've been to Orlando. Where else are you going to go? That is your hodge. When you're from a lower to middle middle class family in the Midwest, the hodge is Orlando. I've never been to Jacksonville on the other side, which is, yeah, the root part, the root of the dick up where it hits the the uh, abdomen seems like a real hell, which honestly makes it interesting to me. Uh, just like another one of those anti cities that just decides to negate the concept of urbanity. Say, Hey, 
You know how the whole point of a city is that things are easily accessible and close together? Fuck that. And a very funny, of course, also is the fact that, uh, you know, it's got a vastly higher crime rate than basically any of the uh, out-of-control Democrat-run cities in the country. But again, all you need is to have a public performance of, uh, of punishment, a public performance of, uh, of law enforcement and veneration for law enforcement. And what actually, the actual amount of crime you have doesn't matter. Because how the hell does anybody know? Nobody knows. The only people who know are on an individual level, the people who individually uh, are uh, part of it are victims or perpetrators of crime, who for the most part are not part of anybody's understanding of uh, the public and uh, who can't speak with one voice. So all it is is the filtered and then ritually reinscribed violence of crime or whatever the hell we mean by that. And uh, it's created a situation where people have talked themselves into believing that uh, that they are part of a meaningful uh, stand for like virtues if they sign on to uh, a political project that acknowledges crime. You can acknowledge it all day long. Everybody is doing the same thing everywhere. There is no radical alternative to America's uh, approach to crime or any other social problem. Everybody's doing basically the same thing. There, there are uh, um, significant superficial alterations, like the sconces, the escutcheons, the, 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 all that shit, the wainscoting. Those are all different. But at base, it's all the same stuff. Poverty has been uh, essentially criminalized everywhere. But then some places decide to create little ornamental uh, ameliorative rituals to uh, imply that, you know, we don't like that or that we want it to be otherwise, as opposed to other places that just uh, publicly reaffirm the virtue of that approach to uh, social decline. And then you get to vote on one or the other, and wow, you get to then participate in observing a a media invention of the relationship between the citizens and and their government, and between the government and and crime, and 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 it's all chosen. What is what 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 becomes stories is chosen, kind of subconsciously, but also uh, very deliberately, uh, to affirm some narrative that creates uh, a meaningful like sides but what is happening at base is identical so anyway yes florida uh, the tip gonna go to the tip gonna go to the glands miami very interested very intrigued never been want to be there don't know how long it's got as a city I mean, forget global warming, the fucking buildings might all collapse before it even gets to that point. Uh, so that'll be interesting. You know, I kind of do. I am intrigued by this game, Victoria 3. Uh, it does seem more in my wheelhouse uh, than Univerpal, Univerpal Nornivalis, Universal Uniparalis, Universal Europa. That's the one.
Uh, but I don't know. I always get a headache. I look at a map. I look at the map and I immediately I'm like, I don't care. I just can't do it. There's something you got to have that makes you like wired into that stuff. And I just don't have it. Oh, I didn't know that uh, the Mike Davis has a as a last book that he put out. And what a shock. It's called Capitalism and Apocalypse. I can't believe it. Might be a good one to dive into. I think I might read that pretty soon. After the China book, maybe. But I got to do a China book first. See, I'd rather just, if I want to do a, a, a counterfactual history, I'll just do it in my head. And then I don't have to worry about, like, clicking on the little screens, and then i got to move the knobs around. And I don't know what any of that means. It doesn't mean anything to me. It feels like doing homework. It feels like doing a real job, like a real, like, spreadsheet job. No, thank you. I'll just I'll just let my mind do it. I'll just fall into my uh, I'll just play. I'll just rotate the cube of the map in my mind and move things around. And also, I do think that uh, that there is something insidious about that approach. Like that the, the the assumption of those games that there's like this immortal spirit being you know that you are basically a god of the nation moving it in, in it towards a destiny like that is happening that happens in every nation but it is not directed by any one perspective because people are mortal obviously duh the only thing that is left is the structures that humans in the moments they're alive and animated by that spirit create and then we all live within them and then build on to them during our times a lot, which ends up being, over time, technological structure. And what we are in now is a situation where the technological structure has uh, fully uh, suborned the humans uh, who make up like critical elements of the circuit of it. For now, they do anyway. And so when you play a game, uh, one of these games, like your, your imagined perspective is of the machine itself. And I think that's the appeal of the game to leftists is the idea, what if the machine had a different programming? What if I, speaking up, acting on behalf of, you know, the, the, the people, uh, the human race, uh, expressed, you know, uh, through the self-knowledge of a, of a class uh, was directing its energies rather than this, this other thing, this, this profit uh, imperative that operates it as we, it operates it now and that uh, dictates our reality. And uh, I guess that's interesting, but again, too much clicking, too many clicks. So anyway, as I said, this is going to be a short one. i got about a half an hour here. So uh, take some questions and answers maybe. Talk to some folks. Just chill. And again, anybody I know any other Chinese books, throw them in there. Apparently, though, in this new Victoria game, you can... Uh, you can... 
abolished slavery very quickly. Like you can basically have the Whigs take over in the 1830s, which is a very intriguing concept. But, you know, uh, obviously it raises the question of how does Southern society deal with that? Oh, okay. Well, never mind. Apparently there is no last Mike Davis book. I was surprised. I would have, I thought I would have heard of it. Okay, this is a good one. Favorite 30 years old, 30 years war minor character. There are a lot of great ones. Uh, it's a rogues gallery, some real entertaining characters. I'm a big fan of Poppenheim. Uh, Poppenheim was a, uh, was a uh, uh, imperial general uh, who had been born and raised Protestant, but then converted to Catholicism, joined the, the imperial army. Uh, and then vowed to take a wound on his body for every year that he spent as a heretic. Uh, and he put down with savagery a, a revolt in Upper Austria in the beginning of the war. Uh, and he got shot uh, and killed at Lutzen right before Gustavus Adolphus. And you can still find the orders that Wallenstein sent him stained with blood. Uh, so that's, I like Poppenheim a lot, just because he's uh uh, I've yeah, Bernardus Socks Weimar is, is a character. I mean, they're all either fanatics or complete uh, sociopaths. Like that's there's there are very few. You can't really even squint and find anybody remotely like to root for. You know, anybody to feel like an affinity for across history because those people had no part in this particular war. It's it's religious fanatics and completely vacant sociopaths. Uh, like the only exceptions are people who were essentially. Uh, 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 extraneous to the process and and in uh, classical reading retellings re of the story always come off like the biggest chumps like John George of Saxony John George is the elector of Saxony he was the paramount Lutheran elector in the Holy Roman Empire and he had no truck with Frederick V's attempt to take the Bohemian crown he didn't want anything to do with the original the thing that sparked the war and so he was uh, he was neutral until Gustavus invaded, the Swedes invaded, and at first he tried to stay neutral even after the Swedes had invaded. Uh, but after uh, he proved his military power, he essentially was forced to side with uh, Sweden, uh, which lasted until after Lutzen, at which point he, he helped negotiate the Peace of Prague and became uh, uh, neutral again, and then eventually supporting the emperor. Now this guy is a, looks like a feckless weenie, like a no-balls motherfucker, compared especially to chads like Gustavus Adolphus and like a guy like Wallenstein, who is not like a military genius, but is uh, absolutely a fascinating figure and, and in his own way is a logistical and uh, financial genius. Uh, and you got this guy just flowing, floating around with the tide. But you can recognize, at least I can recognize in John George, like how I imagine I would have responded to the specific phenomenon of the... 30 years war, you know, the defenestration of Prague and all that shit, like the Calvinist, like that's the thing. Uh, Frederick V was a Calvinist. The, 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 uh, the faction uh, of German Protestants who, who uh, started the whole thing by taking the Bohemian crown were not even Lutherans. And Lutherans, like John George, considered Calvinists as wrong uh, and uh, uh, as essentially heretical as Catholics were. So he didn't want to fucking fight. At every point, he was essentially forced to fight. And I think that is the sane, humane res uh, response to those conditions. But 
He also looks like a fucking chump. You know, he looks like this loser. Oxensterna. Oh, God, there's so many good ones. Oxensterna. Fuck. I mean, uh, uh, the, Mal- the Mad Halberstratter, uh, Christian of Brunswick, uh, is fun because he essentially, uh, he was one of the few Catholic princes who held on after White Mountain. And he ran around Europe trying to organize armies and get subsidies to fight the emperor all through the lull uh, before the, the Danish inv- inter- intervention. And part of the reason he was doing it is because he inc- was incredibly horny for Frederick V's wife, Elizabeth, the daughter of James I. I do read fiction. In fact, uh, I just finished the, the, the latest George Saunders short story collection, Liberation Day, uh, it's all. It's got all the stuff you want from a George Saunders book. It is amazing how how formally persist consistent he has been over his career. And like you can say, oh, you know, that's kind of boring over a while. But I think what's so interesting about him is how he's able to create these templates and then fill them each time with something that hits new and hits hits uh, uh, from an angle and and kind of makes things interesting. Like for example, the first and longest story in the collection is called Liberation Day. And it's very similar in structure to the old, the Simplicity Girls, I believe, diaries from the 11th of December, which is the idea of, uh, like, uh, the using as a metaphor for, like, the relationship, the class relationship between people in a consumer society, a hyper-consumer society like America, uh, and, and using the metaphor of, like, science fiction human instrumentality, basically. Like, you know how you have people at your command and an app? Well, in the Saunders story, that relationship is rendered uh, uh, visceral by getting rid of the the mediating element of the uh, app or the phone and making it a direct, explicit uh, human domination. So, like, in the Simplicity Girls diaries, it's a ornament that people could get in their house, which is little orphan girls strung together on uh, a, like a laundry line. Uh, And in Liberation Day, it is a, basically a home, it's a musical instrument, essentially, for home use, which is human beings who've been brainwashed at their own discretion because, you know, they signed the paperwork and their families needed the money or whatever. Uh, They have consented and are under capitalism. And then strapped to their wall, a wall in a room in their house where they can like recite uh, sort of uh, lyric prose about different subjects. And then you can, if you get enough of them up on a wall, you can interweave their discussions into like a sort of a word tapestry that people can come and watch. So again, it's the same principle, uh, but he takes that metaphor and he goes to depths with it that had never been before for me. And it's maybe it's, it's, I got to reread it, but it's maybe my favorite of his. Uh, Frederick. Oh, this is very, just quickly. Somebody says, wasn't Frederick V a nudist to some degree? He did take naked uh, swims uh, in uh, the Slavata. What's the river in Prague? This is the thing that scandalized the locals. They really, they actually, uh, the, the Winter King uh, and their, their court were actually kind of badly received in Prague. They were very happy at first, uh, the people, to be liberated, but then they, 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 they soured on them quickly. And one of the things that did it is that Frederick would swim in the river naked. Uh, the Vatava, that's it. 
but another one was that, that his his Calvinist court followers and his uh, court theologian Abraham Skultultis uh, believed that all of the ultraquist frippery of the cathedrals and churches of Prague that the ultraquist the Hussites took very were very proud of because it was symbolized their nationalist uh, movement against German domination that they had that had seen them successfully rest an independent church that allowed them to take water uh, uh, to take wine and bread at communion. Uh, they were very proud of it. And these fucking Calvinists came in and said, yeah, this has all got to go. These, these saints uh, relics and, and the stained glass, they got to go. And the citizens were pissed. So anyway, that's what I'm reading. He also has another one up in there about uh, a crazy uh, uh, a theme park of like you know since Civil War banded Civil War land in bad decline. There's always a story about a wacky theme park because America is when you think about it just a really wacky theme park, and it's another good one. It takes it, it adds more wrinkles. Uh, I not I don't think as it's as successful as Liberation Day. But uh, it's still entertaining. Still keeps it fresh. So, God, I love that guy. I hope he writes another novel, though. Uh, uh, Lincoln and the Bardo's great. But I'm also, the other thing I'm reading right now, fiction-wise, is I'm rereading, I'm reading for the first time the Hilary Mantel books, uh, which her death sort of inspired me to. Uh, but also the fact, you know, I've been deep in the early modern period now, and, uh, and it's uh, drawing me closer to it. And I want to kind of live there. And she's really helping me do that. These books are great. I'm about halfway through the second one, Bring Up the Bodies, and uh, they're phenomenal. I'd read uh, The Place of Greater Safety before, but I hadn't read any of these books, and they're great. Really loving it. Uh, somebody asked a good question back here, and I want to find it. Oh, somebody said, what's the difference between Prussians and party Germans? You got to remember, Prussia is not part historic was not historically part of Germany as we understand it. Uh, it was not part of the Holy Roman Emperor Empire, for example. Uh, it was part of that westward or eastern sort of uh, liminal zone between the Slavs and the Eastern Church and uh, and uh, Latin Christianity, which on its eastern edges was German. Uh, and so you had. Uh, part of part the 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 nut of uh, the Prussian Empire or the Prussian the, the the Prussian state that would come into being was the Duchy of Brandenburg in the north central part of Germany. Uh, they were the the the, the uh, uh, Brandenburg was an electorate. It was a very important principality in Germany, uh, but it didn't become Prussia until it was linked to the former lands of the Teutonic Knights, uh, which was. Uh, which were a, a group of crusaders uh, who, after being turfed out of the Holy Land, uh, turned their imperial gaze towards the old Slavs of uh, the northern northeastern Baltic, who had not been converted to Christianity yet. And they did a holy, the Teutonic Knights did a, a holy war that let, saw them become the the, the feudal dominators of these of a rest of a restive peasant population, uh, where uh, just as serfdom is sort of dying out in Eastern or Western Europe, 
it is being essentially reinstalled by the uh, Teutonic Knights onto this area. Uh, now that area gets chopped down by t- uh, over time, and eventually be- a lot of it becomes the Lithuanian, uh, the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth. Uh, but I think one thing is very interesting is that the Teutonic, the uh, the Grand Master of the Teutonic Knights, who is the mon- who is essentially the the monarch, the elected monarch of that chunk of uh, of uh, or that colony, that German colony in northeastern Europe, uh, is the first prince of in the uh, the pr- the first prince in Europe to convert to Lutheranism, to convert his holdings to the Lutheran Church, uh, and it's because his position was being undermined, his power was dying. Uh, and he sought to bolster it by gaining uh, that percentage of his authority and re- revenue that was bleeding out of there to the fucking church in Rome. So you see this, the, the Prussian land ends up becoming Brandenburg plus the, this rump of the old uh, Teutonic Knights holdings, and that becomes Prussia. And then as Austria uh, declines, Prussia rises because there is a vacuum is created in the German world that must be filled, inevitably will be filled. But it's not going to be filled by those party Germans I talked about, uh, the Bavarians, the the Southern Catholics, uh, because they're enjoying their Catholic uh, uh, carnival lives. Uh, in the in the rich uh, heartland of German uh, uh, agriculture, and in the in the busy cities of of Lutheran Europe or uh, Lutheran Germany, rather, uh, nor- the northern parts, people are uh, making money. They're 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 uh, they're on that grind. Whereas this remnant, this 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 feudalized, powerful rural military elite, this aristocratic elite, in Prussia organizes into a military state, uh, and uh, Frederick the Great becomes the, the the sort of history bestriding history on horseback figure who sort of gathers the energies within uh, Prussia, the, the the drive towards the vacuum created by the decline of Austria, uh, and then creates this in, incredible military machine, uh, but it declines quickly because it essentially extinguish it, it has its chance it, it makes its effort but uh, it leaves it still relatively small in population and and uh, relatively poor relative to the other powers of Europe which are doing capitalism at this point which it can't compete with it cannot gain the land necessary to make up for its uh, weakness relative to capitalist economies. And so that means that when the German state comes into being, uh, it is dominated politically by this uh, militarized aristocracy. And then that, that militarized aristocracy directs Germany into the machine of war that it became, uh, which helped 
ensure that the uh, struggle for resources in the crisis conditions of the late of the uh, early 19th century would uh, create a war, another war for Europe. Uh, the Thirty Years' War was a war for Germany, uh, and then. 300 years later, 300 years of capitalist development, you get another crisis in similar conditions. Uh, but this time, a unified Germany is now at war uh, with the rest of the capitalist, uh, uh, the, the rest of um, the capitalist states of Europe. Again, so it expands into the whole continent. And because these are uh, now colonial powers, it extends into the entire world. And would have destroyed capitalism had it not been for the existence of the United States, there to absorb all the contradictions of European capitalism and uh, and neutralize them, creating different contradictions that are going to explode in the long term, but in the short term, staving off its inevitable annihilation. We're recording the 30 Years War episode. We're almost done writing the seventh. We have six in the can, basically. we got to do some editing, but those are largely done uh, and and recorded. We're going to record this one, hope, the seventh, hopefully in Miami. Uh, we're going to hopefully have it out early in January. Why do you guys hate New England and never visit? We have played Providence, Boston, uh, New Haven, Portland, Maine, and uh, Nashua, New Hampshire. So we've been in the New England. What's not the life about New England? It's, uh, it's, it's, the most demon-haunted part of the country because it's where the American psyche was forged. It's where the, the, the dread and horror of an untamed natural world that has not been rationalized according to the, uh, the religious and cultural and economic st cult structures that, that, uh, felt a, that made us feel moored to reality. Like we were... Um, the, the, these settled and formed European minds were encountered a tabula rasa. And of course you say, no, no, there are only these natives here. They had a, a complex civilization. Correct. But its complexity was illegible to them. They could see it in its real, in its outlines, but what they saw was something that genuinely terrified them. Not because it meant an undoing of their realities. And so then they had to, reforge a reality out of blood. <laughs> and the thing is, is that they were doing that in Europe. They were forging realities out of blood, but it was each other's blood, which means that you're just setting yourself up for a reinscribement of traumas to eventual annihilation, which is what would have happened and did happen. Europe was destroyed. What prevented it from 
that destruction from destroying the structures that had led to that fucking conflict was the existence of the United States. Because the because those identities were forged as all identities are in blood, but that blood was not their blood. It was the blood of another who could become the repository for all the sublimated alienations and miseries, large and small psychic damages of existence in a class society. Uh, uh, this is something that uh, Calhoun, John C. Calhoun, understood deeply. That's why Richard Halberstam called him the marks of the master class, because he had a similar understanding of the inevitable, creeping, annihilating nature of class rule. He, just, he believed that the existence of a slave class diffused intra-white class conflict, which cannot be contained. And he was correct about that. That is why the, the lid would had to be put back on the, the uh, Pandora's box after the end of the Civil War, because uh, the reality of equality was starting to kick in. And the thing is, it could have gone differently. The conditions existed uh, for there to be different results of that. Because again, as I was saying, identities are forged in blood. And the blood spilled from northern whites during the Civil War was entirely spilled by southern whites. There is a world where that experience reorients to some degree a significant enough degree to move the needle politically and institutionally and move the 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 gigantic uh, ultra starship of uh, Earth society of of, of the, the the psychic spaceship we're all living in in one direction or another. But we didn't get that because we got Lincoln's assassination. We got Johnson's disastrous ascension to the presidency. We get the rolling back of the nascent land reform that was marking Reconstruction and could have marked it more. Uh, again, not to create a, a utopia, but to change the terrain of future conflict. Move move the, the goalposts. Change the conditions so that when a great war erupts in 1914, the American political system looks differently. Maybe there still is horrible violence. There still is Indian extermination. There still is vast uh, racial conflict and, and, and oppression. But it is being contained within a political uh, structure that recognizes that struggle instead of wipes it off the board which is what white democracy after the end of Reconstruction did. That means social that means political structures that are more able to directly uh, address capitalism during conditions of crisis. Uh, and of course, that would kick in, that would create more resistance among capitalist social and political institutions. That means conflict, open and, uh, and, uh, and undeclared war. But that's the history we got. That is the history of humanity till now. We just find ourselves at an exhaustion point that might be, might have been others otherwise. And all right, I got to wrap up here. We're almost, yeah, I got to start recording soon. Democracy ending globally, says Zizek. Well, yes, of course. Uh, but again, that's not going to be a real change for anybody's material conditions. I really don't think. We're only talking about the removal of emblems. 
We're, we've got a machine in power that has like some cool uh, 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 like decals on it to make it look like something else, to make it look like a transformer or something, uh, to make it look like your friend and neighbor, the, the, the government that responds to you. And it's just going to fall off. Now that's the, but it's going to be replaced by something else. It's going to be replaced by some political spectacle that the people who are uh, in some way or another perceive themselves to be wrapped in its bosom and not being killed by it, which is what's actually happening, being suffocated by it, which is what's actually happening. It's it feels like being, to some degree, cocooned. Even if you feel aware of that and guilty about it, you still feel deeper than uh, political ide ideology. You still feel uh, dependent on it. That's the word. Uh, and so there will still be some sort of demo demo democratic terrain. And only historically are you going to be able to look back and say, oh, that's not, that's when the democracy isn't there anymore. Because it's, it's a slow cooking. It is not some sort of what we want it to be, which is a, a apocalyptic revealing of what is real, of what is. The apocalypse is the unveiling, right? That's what that means. The uncovering of something. And that is the, the machine behind the mask of democracy. But I don't think we're going to get that because building the mask is what the machine does. Like generating the mask like is, is the whole reason that the thing exists to tell itself a story to t so that we can all tell ourselves a story where we are the protagonists of all history. And that our comfort is the only thing that matters in the universe. It's that spectacle that it generates is the reason it exists. So it cannot go away. Only if the machine breaks down. And the machine will break down as it's breaking down now. At the margins, not at the center. Okay. All right. Talking to you guys next week. Bye-bye.